In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. I want to pause right here. Because <laughs> when I read this verse, I read tested, and I thought, God wants us to fail. God wants us to fall. Why is he testing me? And then I called my dad, and, <laughs> and he explained to me, he's like, no, no, no. There's a difference between being tested and tempted. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Like Pastor Robert said, my name is Yarimel Huerta, and for the purpose of this series, we were asked to tell our stories as well as a story of a Bible character who we relate to. And so I'm going to start off by <laughs> telling my story, um, which I haven't done before, so here it goes. Um, so I applied to La Sierra University in, I think, 2018 with the hopes of becoming a social worker. My entire um, plan for the next four years revolved around that. I was passionate about child protective services, and so I wanted to work for child protective services, get my master's, and then potentially open up a nonprofit organization to help children who have dealt with and are dealing with their past traumas. And so I got to La Sierra. I was super excited. I started all of my classes, started meeting people in social work, and if you don't know me very well, you know, you probably don't know, but I'm very I'm very organized. I like to plan things out. I like to know what's coming. And so I had put a lot of thought and effort into this. But one October evening in Angwin Hall in this stuffy dorm room, I'm sitting in my bed and, and I'm praying and, and I'm talking to God and we kind of begin to have this back and forth. And, and God tells me, and I know it sounds a little weird, but God tells me to switch my major from social work to pre-nursing. Oh, pre-nursing? What? <laughs> it was nurses week last week. I love my nurses, and you'll see to where I'm going. But pre-nursing was not even in my horizon. It was not something I was thinking about. It was not something that I wanted. And what was even weirder was that in that same moment, I got the heavy impression that I would attend Loma Linda University. Loma Linda? That one place I visited when I was a kid a really long time ago? And so the more ridiculous, the most ridiculous thing was that after this conversation with God and a few hours of continuing to read my Bible, I called my parents and I made the decision that night to change my major. Not logical, not organized, and not planned. And so I'm not encouraging you to make decisions based off of a whim or a feeling, but what I'm trying to say is that when God speaks to you, when he calls you, when he gives you direction. It's very clear. And as you enter that path, he reaffirms you. And so through 2020, I was very uncomfortable with the decision I had made, especially with COVID, finding myself in the rooms of COVID patients and in this environment that was entirely new to, to us. And so I questioned God a lot. I questioned that moment. I questioned that prayer. And a lot of times I questioned myself. And so now, 
after going through what I have gone through and after learning and hitting my head on a wall multiple times, I'm, tr I'm barely seeing why God has me where he has me. And at the moment, I can say that I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And so that's my unfinished story. And so today I'm going to be telling you or talking about the story of Abraham. So who is Abraham? What did he do? Who, who is this man? And so my go-to is to go look up someone on Instagram and Facebook. But since we can't necessarily do that tonight, we're going to dive into the story of Abraham. And actually, three different stories in which Abraham was incredibly uncomfortable. And so let's start at the beginning. The beginning of Abraham's story is found in Genesis chapter 12. So I want you to open up your Bibles. We're kind of going to be running through those chapters. So Genesis chapter 12. And so here's a little bit of context. Abraham was originally known as Abram. And he was married to Sarai. Abram and Sarai are married. As God begins to work through them, as God changes them, as God molds them in their story, Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. So now we have Abraham and Sarah. And so for the purpose of this conversation, I'm going to be referring to them as Abraham and Sarah. And so we find Abraham in Haram and his father just passed away and God calls him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know, everything you're comfortable with. And then God proceeds to make a covenant with, with Abraham. And so what is a covenant? If you Google it, the definition of a covenant is basically an agreement, a legally binding document. It's like if I went up to you and said, here, sign this. That's a covenant. But in biblical times, it means a lot more than that. In biblical times, it's, it's almost like marriage. It's two entities that are fusing, two entities that are coming together. It's flesh being combined. And so God makes a covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and read them. This is the first covenant. And it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And verse 4 says, so Abraham went to talk to his wife about it. He spent a few weeks debating it, discussing it. Does it say that? No. What does it say? And so Abraham went. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was how old, guys? Yee, 75. 75 years old when he set out, when he left everything that he was comfortable with, when he left everything that he knew. And so let's recap. What do we see in these verses? What are we understanding? What I see is that Abraham didn't question God. Abraham went. And so when he went, he becomes a traveler and, and he goes from Egypt to Haram and other areas in that region. And, and he has absolutely no idea what's going to happen in the next day, week, month, or even year. How many of you have a rough idea what next week is going to look like? Raise your hand. Rough, rough idea, maybe an exam, maybe a lunch, something like that. Who has a rough idea of what tomorrow is going to look like? Raise your hand. Right? We have plans for Sabbath. Abraham went. So my question for you is, do you struggle when God calls you? 
all Abraham had to reference were these verses, the verses of, I will make you into a great nation, I will make your name great, I will bless those who bless you. It's not necessarily an itinerary. It's not a to-do list. It's not a a section-by-section plan of Abraham's life. And so he went. I don't know about you, but being asked to leave my house, my family, my friends, the food I'm comfortable with, the places I like to go to, and just go, only having these verses to reference, I would be incredibly uncomfortable. Let's bow our heads for a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise, we worship, and we honor your name. Tonight, Lord, I ask that you make us uncomfortable, that you stir our minds and our hearts as we dive into these stories, and that you teach us something about you. Thank you so much. In your name, amen. So my favorite author, John Maxwell, how many of you guys have heard of him? Maybe? Yeah, John Maxwell, he's great. Um, So he wrote a book called Running with the Giants, and in this book, he features Abraham. And so I'm going to be pulling my three points from this book. And so the general theme for this evening is God always does the right thing. So God always does the right thing, and you can see it, even if it takes a long time, number one. Number two, even if we question him. And number three, even when we don't understand. God always does the right thing. So we're going to jump into point number one. God always does the right thing, even if it takes a long time. And so Abraham is out. He's a wanderer. He doesn't know what's going on. And so he has this desire in his heart. He wants something more than anything in the world. Do you remember when you were five years old and there was that one toy that you wanted for your birthday or that one thing you wanted for Christmas? Remember how badly you wanted that? That was Abraham. Abraham wanted a son. Abraham wanted a child, specifically a boy. And here's the reason why. In biblical times, if you had a son, it was seen as a huge blessing. It was wow. Because that son would carry the blessing, would carry the money, would carry the property, would carry the name of the family. But if you were childless like Abraham was, it was almost seen as a curse from God. And so Abraham wanted a son. In Genesis chapter 15, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles there a little bit. Genesis chapter 15, we see this dialogue with Abraham and God, and we're going to see that a lot. And And in this dialogue, God is telling Abraham, I am here for you. I will bless you. I will give you everything that you want. I am your sword. I will be with you. And then Abraham comes in with this. And Abraham said, you you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. What is Abraham saying? Abraham is saying, God, thank you for the many blessings. However, what's the point? It's going to end up with a servant. I want it to be for me, for my descendants, for my family, for my children, but I don't have the means to do that. And we jump to verse 5, and this is a beautiful verse, and it said that God took him outside and said, look up at the skies and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Look at this relationship that Abraham has with God. Abraham says, God, I want a son. And then what God is saying is God is telling Abraham, I will give you what you want and so much more. That's beautiful. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions tonight. So here's, here's another one. What is the desire of your heart? 
what's the one thing that you really want, that you kind of think about on a daily basis, and that one thing that will make your life better, that will make you happier? Maybe it's finding a relationship. Maybe it's getting married. Maybe it's getting into that program or into that job. Maybe it's overcoming an addiction, or maybe the desire of your heart is to overcome past traumas. Maybe the desire of your heart is to be at financial peace, or at least be able to help out your family who needs financial peace, right? For a long period of time, the desire of my heart was to find emotional peace. After making the decision I made to switch my major to pre-nursing, I... <laughs> My mind was in a fog. I couldn't think straight. And, and so all I wanted was to finally be able to see things clearly, to know what was going to happen, and to know why God had asked me to make this decision. I wanted emotional peace. And so <laughs> the next few verses, the way the story goes, is, is not entirely comforting because Abraham asked for a son. God said, I'll give you that and so much more. But he waited 10 years. He waited 10 years for a son. Can I be honest, guys? <laughs> Some of us can't even wait six months. I struggle to wait 24 hours before I feel the need to take over <laughs> and say, okay, you know what? I prayed about it, but God's not doing anything fast enough 30 minutes later. And then I do whatever I want, right? He waited 10 years. God always does the right thing, even if it takes a long time. Enter Sarah. Sarah's Abraham's wife, right? And so she's older now. We said Abraham was 75. It's been 10 years, so you can kind of do the math. And so what Sarah tells Abraham is, look, sweetie, look, honey, I'm old. I haven't been able to give you a kid. It's not going to happen with me. So look, here's my servant. Go sleep with her. Have a son with her. We're going to help God out a little bit. And, and it's done. We get our blessing through her. And of course, Abraham is this obedient husband. And he does as his wife tells him. He goes. He sleeps with the servant. They end up having a child. And this child's name is Ishmael. God re-enters the scene and says, no, 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 this is not what I had planned for you. My plan is that both you, Abraham, and Sarah will have a child together, Abraham and Sarah, not Abraham and Sarah's servant. And so if you know the story, as time goes by, Sarah gets pregnant, and she has a child, and they name this child Ishmael. So God always does the right thing, even if it takes a long time. But the beauty of this story, Sarah is so relatable, the beauty of, of the story with Sarah is, is the fact that God chose her in the midst of her self-sufficiency. When Sarah said, you know what, I got this. We're going to fix this real quick. We're going to have this kid. It's going to be set. Do you ever think that way? I got it. I, I've got this planned out. I've got this mapped out. I'm going to do it this way. God can still choose you. God still works through you in the midst of your self-sufficiency. So God always does the right thing, even if it takes a long time. What he's trying to teach us is patience. He wants to wean us off of our self-dependency and push us towards him. God always does the right thing, 
even if it takes a long time. Point number two, God always does the right thing even if we question him. We're entering into a completely different story, so put this one um, in another portion of your brain. God always does the right thing even if we question him or when we question him. And you're going to see this pattern of God communicating with Abraham. How many of you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Heard it before? Familiar with it? Here's a quick recap. So God is telling Abraham, look, there are these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're so evil. There's no repentance in their heart. I've tried with them, but they're harming those around them, and and they don't want to change their way, so I'm going to have to burn these two cities down. God is telling Abraham, I'm going to burn two cities down. This is Abraham's response. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. This, this one took guts, all right? Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, God tells Abraham, I'm going to burn these two cities down. And this is what Abraham says. Abraham says, far be it from you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you. Will you not the judge of the earth do right? Ooh. If I had just told God that, my immediate reflex would have been to go into fetal position and wait to die. Okay, that, that's just me. But far be it from you. Abraham is saying, really, God? This is not like you. This is not your character. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? You who knows everything, won't you do the right thing? The beauty, the absolute beauty of this verse is that the conversation continues. And Abraham begins to bargain with God. And Abraham says, well, God, what if there are only 50 righteous people? Would you still destroy the city? And God says, okay, if there are 50, I won't destroy the cities. And then he says, well, what if there are 40? And God says, okay, if there are 40, I won't destroy the cities. And the number keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. God always does the right thing even if we question him. And so what do we take from this story? What what I want us to learn is that God wants to reason with you. He wants to communicate with you. God wants to speak with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be your friend. Whether you respond like Abraham did or not, that's your choice. (laughs) It's okay to question God. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but it's okay to question God's plans and God's decisions. How else do you learn if you don't ask a question? Here's, here's a second half to that concept that a lot of us don't like, that I definitely don't like, and it's, it's okay to question God, but you have to stick around. You have to be patient enough to wait for his answer. If not, what's the point? A lot of professors tell me, look, I'd rather you come to me week two, three, or four of the quarter and ask me for help versus come to me right after the final when you already failed. God wants to communicate with you and I. So then my question for you is, and this is a question that I had for a really long time, and it's how do I communicate with God? Sorry, you know the the heat and the sweating that I was talking to you about? It's getting to me right now. But how do we communicate with God? 
I can only tell you what has worked for me, but here at Praxis you have amazing leaders who I'm sure can give you their insight. And so this is what I do. I like to get into my room or my car and turn my phone off, make sure it's a space where I know no one will bother me for a few hours. And, and I grab my Bible, maybe a devotional, and, and I begin to speak out loud. I'll praise God out loud, and then I'll dive into some verses, usually the book of Romans, and, and I'll just start to talk and maybe write key words, and, and I'm discovering the character of God. And, but sometimes it's not that calm. Sometimes it's not that pretty. Some days I come back from the hospital after a shift, and, and I'm angry. And so I set up that space, but I begin to talk out loud. I begin to tell God what's on my heart. It's not that Instagrammable moment that you see my morning devotional. No. <laughs> this is tears running down my face, angry, crying, and wondering why, just why some days. That's, that's how I like to communicate with God. So God always does the right thing. Number one, even if it takes a long time, he wants to teach us patience. Number two, God always does the right thing. Even if we question him, he wants to communicate with us. And my third and final point is God always does the right thing even when we don't understand. So I want to take you back to that first story, that first story that I told you about Abraham and Sarah, and they finally had Isaac, right? They finally get to hold the blessing that God had promised them. They finally get to raise and teach and grow with this child, the child that they had waited for for 10 years. The uncomfortable moments were finally over. And Abraham was able to find peace in knowing that God was going to be able to do his will in his future generations. God always does the right thing, even when we don't understand. I'm going to ask you the same question one more time. What's the desire of your heart? And I want you to think about it. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's multiple. I gave you a few examples. Financial peace, emotional peace. Maybe finding that good group of friends that hold you accountable. Maybe you desire to make a family, start a family. I don't know. What, what do you want? What is something that you think about continuously, consistently? We're going to jump into Genesis chapter 22. So I want you to keep this in mind. Abraham finally has his child. He's reached that moment of homeostasis. He's at peace in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. I want to pause right here. Because <laughs> when I read this verse, I read tested, and I thought, God wants us to fail? God wants us to fall? Why is he testing me? And then I called my dad, and, <laughs> and he explained to me, he's like, no, 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 there's a difference be between being tested and tempted. Temptation is designed for you to fail and fall. Being tested, which I'm sure most of us in here have experienced, going through a test is a technique that professors use to determine how well you're absorbing the material, to determine how well you're understanding the subject, the concept. And so sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and I can imagine Abraham chilling, talking to God, having a good time, right? And Abraham says, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take 
your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And we're going to jump to the beginning, to that first covenant that we read. I want us to just reference it really quickly. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. We talked about this. It's a little bit vague, right? Look at how specific God is being in these verses. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, the desire of your heart, the one thing you've always wanted, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Key word, burnt, meaning there's nothing to bury. There's not a place to mourn. The only thing that's left is ash. The only thing that's left is, is dust, essentially. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So what did Abraham do? Verse 3, early the next morning, <laughs> Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at the distance. Abraham went. He went to kill the one thing he loved. He went to kill the one thing he breathed for. He went to kill the one thing he had been praying for for 10 years. He went to kill the love of his life. He went to end the desire of his heart. And more than that, guys, Abraham was going right back to where he started, to being childless. I think the worst part about this verse is the fact that Abraham had three entire days to marinate on the fact that he was about to murder his son. Three days. And as the story continues, we see that Abraham and Isaac go up the mountain alone. And as they're going up, Isaac asks his dad, Dad, where is the animal that we're going to kill? Because in biblical times, they would use an animal to sacrifice, to, to make that altar. And, and so all Abraham could say was, God will provide. And they finally get to the top of that mountain. And Abraham has to tell his child, you are the sacrifice. I can see the tears rolling down his eyes and, and the tension between father and son. And as they hug for the last embrace, Isaac obediently lies down on that altar and allows his father to bind him. The darkness in that moment, the seriousness, the pain and the agony from both father and son. Verse 10, talking about Abraham, then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And I can hear the pain in Abraham's voice when he says, here I am. He replied, here I am, God, where you want me, where you've called me, where you've placed me, where I don't want to be, where I am uncomfortable. Here I am. Here I am. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Here I am. 
Abraham proved that he was willing to surrender everything. Abraham showed God that it wasn't about the promise of his son. It wasn't about finally getting the desire of his heart. Abraham showed God that it was about him and God. It was about that relationship. He proved that he was willing to surrender everything. And at that moment on that hilltop, Abraham acknowledged that God was more than enough for him. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And it's a very similar covenant as the first one. God always does the right thing, even if it takes a long time. He's trying to teach us patience. Point number two, God always does the right thing, even if we question him. He wants to communicate with us. He wants communication from us. Point number three, God always does the right thing, even if and when we don't understand. He wants to teach us faith. He wants to teach us obedience. The story I told you earlier about myself, that's just a summary. I don't think I can count the amount of times in which I was impatient with God. The times when <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing, why I was doing it, and, and I just wanted to know why, and I wanted to know why now, and, and there was no answer. I can't even tell you the amount of times in which I refused to communicate with God because I was so angry. I was so frustrated in the situation I was in. And I don't even want to tell you the amount of times that I didn't trust God's plan, that I didn't trust his covenant for my life. If you continue to read the book of Genesis, you find the story of Abraham. You find the ending of his story. I don't know the end of my story, and I don't think you know the end of yours. And so what's, what's the point? What do I take home? What, what? So what, right? What we learn from Abraham and what I've learned from my story is that God always does the right thing, even if it takes a long time. God always does the right thing, even when we question him. And God always does the right thing, even when we don't understand. Even if you're uncomfortable, even if it doesn't feel good, even if you don't want to be there, even if it feels like you're in a fog, the one thing that we know is that he is enough. That's the one thing we know. And, and because we know that he is enough, we have the choice to surrender ourselves to him on a daily basis, surrender our plans, surrender the desires of our hearts, surrender everything we've ever wanted. One of my favorite authors, Joel Osteen, says, says the following. It says, God wants to make a river in your desert. He wants to heal you. He wants to connect you to the right people. He wants to remove guilt out of your life, forgive you from all of your sins, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He wants to honor you with his presence. He is your everlasting friend. He is your rock. You are special to him. The blood of Jesus runs through your veins. You are the beloved son and daughter of the almighty God. Surrender and submit and more. God wants this for you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to remove that guilt out of your life. And as you go through your story, as you go through your journey, God wants to teach you patience, communication, and trust. And so for the last time tonight, 
I want you to think of, of the desire of your heart, that one thing, or the multiple things. Think of the desire of your heart and, and kind of hold it with you. And, and tonight, the first thing I want to ask you to do is acknowledge that God is enough for you. And the second thing is, I want, to, I want you to take the desire of your heart and surrender it all to God because God is more than enough. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.